What is up, everybody? This is episode two of the Thoughts from a Balcony podcast, and we have a very special guest on today, my dear friend, Mason McHenry. Mason, thank you for joining, man. It's really an honor to have you on. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you having me on here. I'm pumped. Trevor and I have been friends for a very, very long time, getting back to high school. Um, yeah, my name is Mason. Let's get this rolling, guys. Absolutely. Thanks, Mason. Man, it's, it's funny, too, when I started this, you're one of the first people I wrote down to have on this podcast. I'm like, this dude has one of the craziest stories <laughs> of how he got to where he is now. And I, I mean, dude, it was it was fun. It was it was something to watch you go through, number one. And yeah. second, just to see you kind of push through the different adversities that you were faced in this process of you becoming a model now, um, working with some really big names. I won't go too much into it. I'll let I'll let Mason describe it. But it's funny, man. The reason we're friends is because of football. You know, we, we played in when do we start playing ninth grade, maybe 10th grade yeah. for me. So super young in high school. And next thing you know, we're playing in college. Uh, you know, you actually got me over to John Carroll. So yeah, a little bit of food in there. I had to, I had to bring the dog on. Come on. Yeah, now. Thank you for that, man. I, I ended up going to a, a new school, coming to John Carroll and, and Mason, you know, you really welcomed me with open arms, man. So I appreciate that. Um, so we're friends from football and I want you to tell your story of, of your, no, your football career, you know, start, start in high school and kind of go through what you went through it through, you know, during that time. And then also in college, all that shit you went through, cause it is crazy, man. So I'll hand it off to you, brother. Definitely. Yeah. I appreciate this opportunity, man. I mean, I would, I would definitely say we are best friends, bro. We've been best friends for a long time. Um, football thankfully has brought me my closest friends in my life. And I'll always cherish that and value that to the day I die. Um, the opportunity of football, you know, it's, it takes a lot of heat lately, especially in the past like decade or so because of the head trauma and new technology and medical research that has come out about football. So that is one thing that when people ask me if, you know, the question comes up if my kids will play football or anything like that, I'll never force them. Of course, I'm going to encourage it and, to, and share my experience and the people I've met. But I always say it's about the brotherhood that you are able to build in the sport of football, sports alone, uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood that you're able to build with the companionship. It's unbelievable because I can only imagine people going to a new school or something like that, not playing sports, you know, and the effort it would take beyond um, the sports, it kind of forces you to make friends, right? And not having that opportunity, the extracurriculars, um, I can only imagine how tough that is, man. But so, yeah, the football story. Let me get that rolling. So my dad uh, and my mom are very sport oriented. My whole family is come from a family of six, three boys, three girls. My family, same two loving parents. Um, and they've been coaches, you know, for they were coaches. My dad was a football coach for 25 years, I believe it was. And he was in the school education system, principal. He was your principal, I believe. Was he not? Yeah, I went to yeah. the Memorial. He was, yeah, he was my he was principal. Middle school. He was your principal in middle school. Yes. He was head coach at uh, high school principal. But my mom and my dad were both coaches, coached track. Uh, my mom was a, an amazing track athlete in high school. She set state records, and that was when she was racing against uh, 
boys on cinder tracks. You know, they didn't have the uh, rubber molded tracks, it was cinder tracks. So my mom was pretty badass, man. So they coached that volleyball, basketball. So that's where I got all the athletic um, genes from and the mindset behind it, because they encouraged it for all of us. They said, you have to be doing something. You know, they didn't, they didn't care what sport it was. Um, my dad had a very strong passion for football because he played at Edinburgh um, and was a pretty successful high school player as well. So they encourage us, you know, get active. It helps you make friends. It gives you that experience. Like take the time and do it. So I fell in love with football, you know, being exposed to it from the day I was born. And I was a water boy uh, when I was in, when I was five years old, I think it was. And uh, just being able to be a student of the game my entire life and listen to the philosophy, listen to the reason why we do things, why we practice this way, why we're so dedicated and give so much uh, passion, blood, sweat, and tears behind it. So I fell in love with this sport. And of course, you know, like a lot of young boys that love football, they want to get the dream to go to the NFL, right? Everyone's screaming. But I just always had this mindset of, you know, I'm going to make it. And I know a lot of people say that. And it is cliche. I know that. But sometimes you just feel it. You know, you feel that something's going to be a certain way. And with the drive that I learned from a kid, um, it helped me throughout this whole process in my journey of playing football. I was playing youth football. And one day in the winter, I got diagnosed. I was told uh, that I had to go to the hospital with my mom. My skin was very gray. And I was urinating like every 20 minutes or something like that, drinking a gallon of orange juice a day. And I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 11 years old. And my biggest fear, my biggest fear, I was crying, crying, crying. Because uh, I know I'm all I'm being told is my life is about to change. It's about to change. And my biggest fear was, am I going to be able to play sports? That's the only thing I cared about. Because I was playing three sports year round, you know, football, basketball, baseball, I ended up playing track too, but it was always doing something as a kid. You know, you're in the front yard, backyard, meeting up with kids in the neighborhood, playing sports. So that was my number one concern. And I was, I'm going through that process. Um, we can touch on that later, but they reassured me. They said, as long as you take care of your health, you'll be able to do anything you want. And I said, fair enough. So that's why I still in myself, health is wealth, right? Health is wealth, brother. So I was going through that process and adapting and it was very difficult adjusting at first because with low when you exercise as a diabetic with low blood sugar um as a result or it could be high blood sugar too your body can react in uh two different ways so it can be tricky regulating whether you should eat a snack before uh you compete or you practice or if you should take insulin before you compete or practice so it's always a, a weird limbo for a few years trying to figure out the uh proper mix right mm -hmm. so why do you take that drink of water mason the diabetes diagnosis, um, you know, you said you said you had to change your mindset of health is wealth now. Like, I got to really pay attention to what's going on in my body. What are some of the habits and, and things you changed in your life that kind of helped you get to that point of saying, OK, you know, what, I feel pretty good, even with the diabetes diagnosis? Right. So I'll tell you what. So throughout middle school, um, it was a limbo. So like I said, I was diagnosed in fifth grade and everything switched. So at the time it was just, all right. So it was really simple. So as I was, uh, I broke it down to be really simple. It's not really simple. I broke it down. I was like, okay, I take my blood sugar. I calculate what I'm eating 
and I take my medicine for what I'm eating. Then I could eat whatever I want, right? So of course, as a kid, you know, I'm not saying I had the best diet as a kid, you know, like eating junk food, all that good stuff. But of course, as a kid, you're supposed to a little bit. So it wasn't until ninth grade when I was doing everything right, I got diagnosed with celiac disease. And so that results into your body having an intolerance to gluten, the way it breaks down uh, wheat, rye, barley, malt, those proteins, it doesn't process the proteins in those grains. So that is what forced me to really even buckle down more and focus on, okay, if I'm serious about what I want to do with NFL, um, I'll go and I have to follow this diet, follow the regimen and really focus what I'm putting in my body. At first it wasn't so easy though. I had a very negative attitude. Challenging. Did I freeze? You're good now. Did okay. freeze a little bit. Yeah. So it was a very challenging time in my life. I was doing a lot of blaming, a lot of uh, why me, you know, feeling sorry for myself. It's like I'm doing everything right, you know, and I'm already uh, on top of this. And then I got hit with another thing, you know, and it, it really changed my perspective into a negative outlook. And I went from quitting basketball. I was like, you know, after my freshman year in middle school, I was competing well. I was, you know, top of the line youth football you know that is what it is but you know I was I was a dog then too so I'm like going into middle school okay everything's good I get to high school and my growth was stunted for two years uh my seventh and eighth grade year I didn't grow an inch gain a pound um because my body wasn't breaking breaking down and accepting those proteins mm. so once I got on the gluten-free diet I grew two and a half inches and gained 30 pounds in a year and I remember that. I just, yeah. I hate to interrupt, but man, I remember that. I remember, we, I think it was what, like 10th grade, you started getting huge. Yeah, like, it was 10th grade. Who, how did this kid get so big out of nowhere? But yeah, yeah, go ahead. It was, it was wild because it was that ninth grade where I went through football and I was like, all right, I'm just getting mop up time, like the last 30 seconds of the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, was so frustrated with it, but I went through it. And then ninth grade uh, basketball came around. And it was the same thing. I was a Mappa player. I was like, this isn't who I am. You know, I was like, what is happening? Like, is, I'm not just supposed to play sports. Like, this is it. This is as good as it's going to get. I had to think you were done. And so then I went to go run track. And I'll be honest, track isn't my thing. Uh, I was doing it <laughs> loving support of my mother. But running for fun like that just wasn't my thing. I love no training, way. but running for fun wasn't it. So um I quit track and then I go through the summer and football comes around again. And I was like, okay, let me give it my shot. And I go to practice and I'm, it's going terrible again. And I was like, you know, screw this. I'm out of here. Uh, pack my whole shit, go home, crying to my parents. I'm like, I'm done. I'm not playing. The coach doesn't like me. Blaming, still blaming. The coach doesn't like me. Uh, I'm going to continue playing basketball because that coach likes me more. There's more opportunity. I can be successful there. I'll go to the NBA, right? So then um, my parents are like, hell no. You know, you're not just going to walk out. Did you talk to him? And I was like, no, I'm just going to go about it this way. And they're like, absolutely not. You're going to go be a man, talk to him, tell him why you're frustrated with the sport, why you want to walk away. You know, as a man, you have to do that. So I was like, arguing, arguing, and then I go, and I have a, an amazing talk with uh, Steve Trevisano, head coach for our uh, high school football team. Men are Cardinals, baby. Uh, cards up. Cards up. Cards up. 
but this man, honest to God, changed my whole perspective too. And he laid it out like that. And he was one of the first people to explain to me the blaming that I was doing. And I was accepting that information I was receiving. I was like, okay. And he put it simple. He's like, you can go your entire high school career and go into college and not play sports, right? And you can go out and hang out, do all that, and you can continue to do that the rest of your life. You will never be able to have high school football again. You will never be able to have the friendships that you make, the bonds you make, the stories you go through. You'll never have that experience if you walk away. And I was like, damn, that is so true. And I hear about all the people that you look up to growing up, all the people around you talking about glory days, stuff like that, their experiences making those friendships, man. And it's like, sit there and think, and it's like, damn, this is the opportunity that everybody talks about growing up. So people write songs about it, everything, you know, high school football, man. And I'm going to just walk away from it because it's hard right now. And then you think about Michael Jordan being cut <laughs> in high school basketball, right? And you're yeah. like, okay, well, if Michael Jordan can do it, why can't we, right? So I went back the next day, dump out my laundry bag with all my <laughs> back in the locker, right? And we, I tell myself, I'm like, I'm going to get on my diet. I'm going to eat right, start taking protein, working out seriously, hitting the weight room. Uh, because I was a jackass, bro, my ninth grade year. I was just the guy that every, I wanted everybody to laugh at what I was doing. Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't really care how I was being portrayed, how I was coming off to people. As long as people were laughing, I was fit. I was just a jack. So going into that mindset of this coming back to practice, hitting the weight room, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go crazy. And it timed perfectly with me starting the gluten-free diet. I gained that weight. And my junior year, I went from mop-up time on JV sophomore year to my junior year, I was starting free safety for our varsity team. And I'll remember that when I got, I had, I went off that camp, man. You know, it was like, we had seven and seven, seven on sevens. And it was a right opportunity where a couple of people ahead of me were injured and it presented opportunity. But every time I was on that field, I was taking advantage of the opportunity and one upping it too. Right. We had seven on sevens practices. I was getting interceptions like crazy. Didn't get one interception that whole season, but, <laughs> but I said, I have so, more than you. I have more than you. I yeah, had one. Yep. You did. Yeah. I remember that. And, uh, so I was laughing about it, but I remember the day that I was named the starter. I went and uh, met my dad at work, talked to him, told him about it. I was like, this hard work pays off, you know? It's like, and we had a great conversation talking about dedication and what you put in, you receive out. And as long as you believe in yourself and you don't let that shadow of fear creep in, then you're in control. You're in control. So I was like, all right, just keep taking advantage, season the moments, big and small. And then we went and we were semi, not state semifinalists, I think that year, right? And um, yeah, lost to Talia Whitmer. And then we come back senior year and we have a lot of guys returning that year. And you're a part of that team. You make a state run. We were savages nice. on defense. And nice. I was getting recruited going into my senior year. Uh, a couple of D1, small D1 uh, schools and Mac conference were looking at me. Mm -hmm. And um, I was set on Ohio U. I was going to go to Ohio University because they were talking to me a lot. And then we started season, our senior season. I forget exactly how much I weighed. I think I was 195, like 6'2", 195, I think I you, was. You were pretty big. You were a lot bigger than you were junior year. 
Yeah, again, you, again, like it, it seemed like you grew an inch or two as well. Yeah, I think I was six two by that time. Yeah, six two ninety five, I, I believe. And so then I have a good enough preseason again to solidify my spot. Mm-hmm. And we start our opening game was against Erie McDowell, and they were on our field. And I remember, you know, this changed my life, and it changed my life for the better. I strongly believe. But I had all that confidence coming in, and I go to block a punt on fourth down. I take one step to my right and plant on my left, and I feel like an electric shock that literally felt like this pulling down my entire side over here. Mm-hmm. And I just hit the ground, and I ended up um, having a stress fracture in my hip and straining my two hip flexors. And it was because my hips were uneven, right? So <laughs> what a crazy injury, by the way. I mean, a lot of people, you know, you tear an ACL, whatever, but especially at a young age like that, your yeah. senior year, you tear your hip. Like I've never, that's probably one of the first times I've heard someone actually doing that, especially in high school at a young age. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. And it was such like a minute stress fracture, but it was in such a unique position. Uh, I was devastated, man. I hit that ground and I felt like my soul just kept going through the earth mm-hmm. and I get up and I walk, I walk off and um, I'm like crawling off the field. Cause I didn't want to put a stop to the play or anything or momentum. And I crawl off, get up and I go back and I'm being touched and observed on the area. And I remember I'm like, stop, stop. Like, don't touch it. Don't like screaming, like feeling like they were digging into my hip. Like, why are you pressing that hard into it? And they told, they touched my shoulder and say, this is how hard I'm pressing you. And I'm telling you it's the slightest press. And I'm telling them like, let me in, let me in. I was like, if I'm injured, that's my shot. I was already borderline making a small D1 school as a preferred walk on maybe. And if I get injured right here, then it's out the door. There goes my chance at NFL. My dreams are over just because of this one injury. And I'm devastated, crying in the training room and everything like that. So it only held me out for three weeks, though. <laughs> and they they wanted me to rest for, like, six weeks or something like that. And I hit physical therapy. And, and, that, and, and dude, that year, like, just to let people know, we were stacked on defense. So, like, stacked. we had people jumping up at that spot. It was highly competitive. And, like, if you didn't play D1 high school ball in Ohio, like, you don't know how competitive that is. So, like, bro, you had to come back in and fight for your, fight for your position. And that causes you to come back earlier than expected for a lot of right. injuries. That's just it's, a, it's a fact. It's a fact, and it puts a lot of pressure on you. So, because mm-hmm. like you said, if, if man's down, it's next man up. And it's so hard 100%. to fight. It's like you lost that spot because of that injury. And the competitiveness – is unbelievable. So it's like, you better come with a fire lit under your ass. If you're trying to make, make it to the college NFL, if that, you know, so with this in mind, I'm going to physical therapy and I'm pressing it or pushing it and uh, come back. And each week, you know, I was able to slowly open my hips and turn and run again, right. Turn and burn, baby, turn and burn. And I come back in in the first game, I'm very nervous. And Coming back from injury, you know, it's like it's a huge mental thing, not only coming back physically strong enough, but coming back mentally strong enough where you have that faith in your ligaments, in your bodies, and your muscles that it's not about to happen again. I'm strong enough. I built this. I'm not going to get hurt again if I do this cut, if I do that. So that mindset is very challenging. It's huge, huge, man. And I can say the same thing, tearing my Achilles. That's really what stopped me from playing my last year is, you know, I came back a little too soon. 
And although the rest of my body felt really good, dude, I trained super hard, but training is just different than playing, man. And you got to like feel it out. And bro, like if you don't have that mindset of like, I can do this and you're, you're still feeling the injury, you know, it's there and it's hindering your playing. And then I ended up actually hurting it. But like, I a hundred percent understand what you're saying. That, that mindset of like, I'm going to take this again. You know, I'm going to mess up again. It hinders your performance. It sucks. Right. Right. And it's, it's about building that confidence back, you know? So doing that comeback and I'm fighting for my spot on top of it. Right. So not only are you not your hundred percent, you have to fight even more and give your 110% when you're coming back fighting for that spot. So I come back and I end up uh, splitting time. I was getting maybe 60% of the reps of the game with uh, our good friend Todd. And we, and he also ended up coming, Todd Green ended up coming and playing at ball at John Carroll with us too. And so it was difficult because we're both seniors, both playing, you know, and um, Todd's also been our best friend for a long time. So it was a very interesting dynamic, but that friendship built, it's also able to overcome and you know, okay, but this is a business side of our sport. Like we're both trying to make it and respecting each other's hustle. And then we say, you know, best friends on the side. Um, so coming back, I mean, we had a hell of a year too, man. And like you said, we were stacked. We had 17 returning starters from my junior year, your sophomore year. And then I forget the stat, how many players went to on to play college ball. But it was like a high percentage of the 20. It was a lot of guys, a lot of guys signed that year. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like a lot of guys played D3 ball, but I mean, it had to be like, Close to 10, right? Close to but 10 no, guys. I, th- I think it was honestly like 15, uh, more close to 13, 15. If you include your year coming out as well, okay. starting from my senior year, the state. Oh, yeah, we were really, yeah, we were yeah. really good. I yeah. mean, we held everybody under uh, 10 points, I think, until the last two games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the last two games were a little crazy. Um, Ed's, Ed's almost, you know, I mean, Ed scored a lot of points in like the second half of the game where, Funk mm-hmm. just ended up like playing that prevent defense and they scored all over us. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's kind of what happened on those. But, and we had an amazing season. I mean, there are so many just talented guys that went on to do a lot in, in their, you know, second careers as well, including yourself, you know, as right. a, as a what two time all American in, in D3. Yeah, I was. And, uh, it, it was fascinating and it's, it's honestly, you know, it's a such a privilege of playing with such talent around you like that, you know, and it, how close and the camaraderie, camaraderie that we built as friends. I mean, it's unmatched, man. It's unmatched. But so coming back from that injury, going to the state run, I thought college was out the door. You know, I was like, I'm not going to be able to play D1. I'm going to quit again. I'm going to stop playing. Right. I was going to go party at a D1 school and live the kind of frat life, you know, I, I was okay with it. Yep. And my, again, my parents, thank God they came in and they're like, Hey, you know, you're not going to have a D1 shop, but you know, we know how much you love football. Let's, we know your dream and your passion behind it. Let's just go visit a couple schools, you know? And so I think I went on a total of three, five, maybe five college official college. And as soon as I hit John Carroll's campus, I fell in love with it. And you hear stories about it all the time. And 
I think you can speak for it yourself as well. It's I just did. a type of energy that is on that campus throughout that university that just breeds success. It breeds greatness. If you buy in to that place and what it's about and the struggles you overcome there and the lessons you learn, it truly sets you up for success in your life. So I see John Carroll and I'm getting toured by the legend, Brian Cochran, and he's taking me around campus and I'm looking at it. I'm thinking, okay, it's division three. It's not as much competition as division one, obviously the level of competition, but if this is a place where division one to make it to the NFL, you got to come in as a freshman ball out, but a lot of guys are able to come out their uh, junior and senior seasons in division one and give the NFL yeah. run for money. Right. So you're thinking that of a four-year process from my freshman year of high school, where my growth was to my sophomore year, to my junior year, to my senior year, yeah. if I thought that entering here, I could really do something. And coming from Mentor High School, we were already a step ahead uh, from the natural curve of Division Three football guys coming in because we we're playing at such a high level in a Division One state public school right yeah, nuts i mean the people the people we played were just top notch i mean those like we mentioned those last two games i remember playing um was it cincinnati uh was it was it cincinnati molar yeah. yeah they were a stat i mean their whole i think I, there was a stat that came out before the game is their own line averaged a higher weight than the browns own line yes like yes. and seeing that as a d lineman i was like oh all right this is gonna right. be, be a hard one so yeah it, it's crazy to, to actually be in that that space of playing these guys. It was just it's a rush for sure. And I know I know playing D3, like I can speak for myself is like having a perspective that it's not good enough for you. Me, you know what I mean? Like as an athlete and going to a place like Mentor, it's like especially if, if you know, you're playing well and you're, you're a starter, you're thinking, OK, I can I can do something at a high level. So. I, I know D3 and I've changed my perspective since then, but, um, you know, coming out of, out of high school, it's a, it's a tough thing to wrap your head around. And I think I made that mistake going to a D2 college at first and, and kind of jumping on that name and wanting to just sign to a higher division. But in reality, the D3 programs in my, and this is my personal experience, it could be different for everybody, but the D3 program that I went to was run 10 times better than the D2 program that I went to. Yeah. Just everything. I, I share the same opinion, man, because I went on a visit at that school and I went on a visit to a couple of D2 programs and it was very low motor, you know, and mm -hmm. it wasn't that let's be great. Let's go, you know, like adversity, we're over it. Like we have a mission and nothing is going to stop us. We can overcome that. And honestly, the competition, I think, is a little better, too, uh, depending on the school. Uh, at John Carroll, it certainly was. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I'm looking at this as I'm on the tour and I'm telling myself, you know, I could do this. If I come in as a freshman, I make uh, a talking with my dad before I say that talking to my dad, I'm telling him this, telling him what I'm thinking, like, hey, I could really make it happen here. And because uh, it's not a cheap school, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I, I got I got super lucky. I'm really smart in school and I ended up getting some some grants and my dad fast and everything. It worked out really, really well for me. But, dude, it's, yeah. a, it's a really good school. Oh, and it's tough. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing school. And let me tell you, if it, you didn't have the financial workings that way, 
uh, it was very expensive. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but it's amazing and it was definitely worth it, you know? Um, and that's why I told my dad that even to this day with having this college debt and stuff like that, it's not paid off yet, but I tell him, I was like, it's worth it. Like the pressure that comes with taking that money out and stuff like that, I would not trade any of that experience I made at John Carroll because look at the doors it opened for me, you know, I, it served it that purpose, what I wanted it, intended it to, right? So my dad told me, if you come in here, your, your goal should be freshman year, learn the system, learn the program, sophomore year, make travel roster, uh, maybe special teams, junior year, be on the field as much as you can, senior year, be a full-time starter. And I look at my dad and I was like, you know, I was thinking about that process myself and I appreciate that. I was like, let me, you can hear me? You're good. I think you're good now. So I told him, I was like, I appreciate that goals, that goal setting, but uh, with all due respect, this is what my goals are. I was like, freshman year, I'm coming in, making travel roster, get my way on special teams, learning the system like that. Sophomore year, I'm going to be a full-time starter. Junior year, I'm going to be an All-American. Senior year, I'm going to be an All-American, and uh, we're going to win the Natty Champ. I was like, that's the process I see. And I even told him, I was like, I said, uh, mark my words, I said, uh, we're going to be OAC champs my junior year. I said it. And so before I even accepted, got, or accepted into the school, mm -hmm. committed to the school, I was setting those goals. And sure enough, I come in and I'm a little in between. You know, I ran a 4.7640, I think it was, or 4.7240 coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't, I wasn't fast enough to be safety, but I wasn't big enough to be a linebacker or DN or anything like that. Tall enough, but just not physically big enough. Mm -hmm. So I come in and they put me at outside linebacker and first day of camp, I believe I was eighth string on the varsity depth chart, <laughs> yeah. very last. And I'm thinking, okay, I look at that and I'm looking at some of the guys, uh, the competition around me and a very small percentage of guys make it out of uh, that first year that first two days man feels like mm -hmm. four months right and so I'm looking at this and I'm like okay I'm just gonna come and bust my ass like don't get discouraged you know I know what I'm worth I know my capabilities mm -hmm. I have that much confidence in myself that I'm coming here and I'm gonna take what's mine so I come in and have a great first day of ball you know and then at the end of it we ran suicides and sprints you know and I'm smoking everybody out of the water. Like, all of a sudden, I'm fast as shit. You know? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I'm cruising. And I learn how to run or something. And I'm opening my stride. And I'm booking it. And I didn't lose one of those sprints. And we're going against receivers, um, you know, running backs. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, okay, cool. Next day, I'm second string. <laughs> I'm second string at varsity uh, money linebacker behind – you know, some of the greats that have played there at John Carroll, Kevin Cope, I'm behind Jimmy King my freshman year, and I'm able to learn under these guys um, and really get in the swing of the program. And I'm like, okay. So then the following year, I'm starting. I said, I'm starting. I'm right where I want to be. So we have a great freshman year, and we start the sophomore year 
and I'm exactly where I imagine myself to be playing next to Andy Bryan, uh, inside linebacker and our D coordinator, Brandon Saley, the goat, we were running his system the year before. But Brandon what, Saley, the, the new head coach of the, the Los Angeles Chargers, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> just, just in case you guys didn't know. Just in case nobody was aware of that. Um, freshman year, our defense coordinator was Chris Shula, Don Shula's grandson, right? And he's, I believe, is still with the Rams right now. Uh, so we we're running under him. And then he goes ahead and leaves that year and Staley comes back. And when Staley gets back, he, I remember him recruiting me after um, or out of high school. And then he left that year. Mm-hmm. So he was back that winter after football season, my freshman year, right? And this is where everything changed for me. This is where everything a thousand percent changed. And he saw something in me that I knew I had in me, right? But I didn't see it all a hundred percent the way he saw it either. And I tell you what, the way this man broke me down and mentally, physically, um, just was on my ass, you know? And my dad growing up, he told me, cause I would call him too. It was the first time I swear to God, the first time I ever said in my life, I hated football, waking up for spring ball that freshman year. I rolled out of my dorm bed and I like, you know, I hate this shit. I was like, well, is this really worth it? Like <laughs> I do everything right. And I still get yelled at that nothing is right, you know? And there's a few stories, you know, I could share of that time because it really just put me in a place where I was mentally so down, but I was so driven and it brought the competitor out of me and the greatness I had within that. I thank that guy to this day for that. As much as I hated that man at that moment, yeah. I knew what he was doing. Cause my dad told me when I growing up, I had a problem people telling me. I was doing it wrong or something like that. You know, that I just wasn't doing a good enough job. I need to do better, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I, it kind of puts me back and I'm like, all right, like screw this, like screw that, you know, you're yeah. doing good enough. Like, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> so my dad's like, tell me, you know, don't get discouraged. Coaches, the harder they press you, the harder they're on top of your shit is because they see that much more greatness in you and they see your potential and whatnot. And having parents as coaches, I was very lucky being able to understand that side of sports and being able to be explained that side of sports. So I came back and I said, I had the attitude after that day, because it was after that day that I said, I hate football. I called my dad and I talked to him and I come back. I'm like, all right, anything this guy asked me to do, I'm about to do it and one up what he's trying to get me to do. So I was in the meetings. I would meet with Matt Feeney. He's the coordinator of Akron now. Um, Unbelievable coach. Met with him for at least an hour a day going over the playbook, learning this thing like the back of my hand, man. I, it made me become a wizard on the field. And I'm not trying to sound cocky or anything in that light, but it truly made me a wizard on the field. I knew what the offense was doing two plays before they were even going to do it. You know, just by the way a guy was lining up, I knew exactly where he was going. He was going one of two ways. And if he was going, this was his first step, I know he's doing that. If this was his first step, I know he's doing that, right? So this work ethic, this – um, constant pressure on top of on top. I was uh, told to lead the defense in a two minute drill, right? And I'm doing great. We're doing great. And we end up winning, but uh, it was so close that somebody blew a coverage or I called the wrong check at the last time, like made mm-hmm. a simple mistake, you know? And 
he gets on my case screaming on the field. He's like, who the hell do you think you are? You're a freshman. You think you have the power, the right to make that decision, make that call. And uh, I snapped back at him. I was like, you put me in that position to make that call and make that decision. I was like, hell yeah, I do, you know? And I think we ended up losing that drill or something like that. That's why it was like uh, taken the wrong way. But those lessons I learned in that helped shape that there was nothing the pressure that he was putting behind me and the belief that he had in me, along with Tom Arth, uh, head coach of Akron now, that year, had me believe what I was believing was right since I was a kid, right? And the vision that I had going into John Carroll, I believe they had that vision within me with how much pressure they were putting on me, the responsibility, this, the growth they saw, the potential, blah, blah, blah. So we come back in that sophomore year, um, we're okay. We're, an, we're a good John Carroll team, but we're okay for what we're trying to be, right? And, or we're a good OAC team, but we're not the John Carroll that we want to be, is what I meant to say. So we have a tough – it wasn't a tough year. We only lost one game to – or no, we lost two games that year. Yeah, we lost to Ohio Northern uh, that year and to Mount Union. So that was a tough year. So then, mm-hmm. right – Right. I, I yeah. was I don't think I was on the team at that at that point in time, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you definitely lost the Mount Union in the in the regular season and then the playoffs, that's when you guys won, right? That was junior. That was my oh, junior. okay. Soccer. That was okay. the yeah. Okay. So um we're coming off it was an okay year. You know, I, I was a starter. I did I learned the system hundred percent that year. Mm-hmm. Cause coming into it, my like Nobody knew the playbook. There's maybe three guys on Saley's defense that knew the playbook 100% by the time of 2016, my junior year. So that sophomore year, you know, I was a um, coming in and I had no idea the full playbook after that spring ball. And then the day before, for some reason, something happened that like something clicked and everything made sense and how the defense moves in um, everybody's uh, – covering man or zone when it needs to be mm-hmm. right. Each play could run five different ways, essentially. So it just clicked and it all made sense to me. Like all those hours of putting in, it all made sense. So I came in and I'm, you know, playing next to Andy Bryan, uh, coach him and, you know, saying, all right, this is what we got this play, you know, here, here, here. And there was a game I actually was um, concussed. I got a uh, play, OEC player of the week that came, but I, May have not been concussed, but <laughs> I was. And uh, there's a quick story of a. Uh, we knew we were in trouble when Andy Bryan looked at me, and I, he knew we were in trouble when I asked him what I had to do this play, you know, because I knew the playbook like that sophomore year. And we we're all in good communication, and he was a hell of a player, man. And, but the defense was very tricky to learn, as you know. And so when I looked at him and asked him what I had to do, this responsibility, I was like, maybe for the next, like, two series, let me know what's good. And he's like, oh, shit. But I ended up having, like, 13 tackles that game, a sack, and ended up getting player of the week in our conference. So that was my second accolade that I received during college. I had special teams player of the conference freshman year. So coming into the junior year, you know, we got – whooped by Mount Union that year before but it, we held them to only seven points in the first half 
it was like we we're our defense was stellar, but our offense wasn't able to move the ball. So coming out second half, the defense gave the offense a couple of possessions to try to like, you know, essentially prove themselves. And then it was like everybody just gave up hope, man. And they end up running a fake punt on us for like 80 yards or something <laughs> like that and <laughs> scored a touchdown. And they were already up like 30 to 10 or 30 to 7 or something outrageous. But so entering the junior year, that's where I was like, all right, this is the year that shit's about to happen. You know, I'm not playing for my self stats, but you always got to keep, especially if these goals, you know, it's like you have to make sure you're hitting these goals, make sure, okay, this is what I'm aiming for. This is what I'm aiming for. But as long as the team's winning and we're doing what we need to do, that's going to result in more attention, more limelight to, for a D3 player to get a chance at the NFL, right? So, because you have to accumulate all these different perspectives while you're going through this process of chasing your dream. And the way I'm trying to think of the right, right way I'm trying to word this. So as you're chasing your dream, you know, you take all these perspectives that there's so many key parts that have to play. So it's not just, okay, am I doing enough? It's, is the right dice going to roll, you know, because the there's luck play. involved, man. There's a yeah, lot of luck involved. hundred percent. There's a lot of luck involved and I've been very lucky in a lot of situations and I'm very thankful for that. So I'm right where I need to be. I'm controlling what I need to control. And it, I swear to God, Trevor, the more I feel like I'm, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in control what I'm trying to control and everything I can control, more luck comes your way. As long as you're putting in the effort, you're putting in that grind, you're putting in all the right pieces and parts, luck seems to be more prevalent in that situation than waiting for something lucky to happen. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a quote that's falsely accredited to Thomas Jefferson. It's like, the harder I work, the more luck seems to come my way, something like that. And it's, it, it is true, you know, yeah. understand. And you mentioned a great point. It's like controlling what you can control and people around me. I say that all the time, but right. once you like internalize that thought, understand that mindset and like apply it to everything that's going on in your life, there's a lot of pressure that's taken off you, man. And you right. start to also realize the things that you're just like letting by the wayside, you know? There's, yep. there's so much time in the day where you're up and you can control your habits and, and all these little things because those accumulate to successes and, and, you know, big goals that you want to achieve. That's how you do it. You got to start with one step. Right. Exactly. And, um, a great book to read it. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's called the secret. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. It talks about that essentially, um, that the universe works in, it doesn't hear I don't want or I do want. It just hears I want and what you're going after, right? So it's like a, a lot of what uh, mental processing and thinking that way. Um, it's a good book. You should check it out sometime. But yeah, my mom's my mom's actually a huge proponent of. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard a lot of like the teachings passed down through my mom. She was super into it in high school yeah, when I was in high school. When I started reading it um, with my girlfriend Rochelle, we. I started realizing like, this is a lot of stuff that I already do. And it is, has worked for me. Um, and then the secret kind of put it on paper and I read it. So it was a very interesting perspective when I um, came across that book. But so as I was saying, I'm trying to hit all these markers my junior year and make sure that I'm linebacker of the conference. I'm 
player of the week a couple times. That will make me All-American. And uh, to set me up for my senior year. Because when I came in, uh, a lot of uh, my I credit a lot of um, my success, my thought process uh, with reverse engineering. So with the reverse engineering, you goal set, right? Because I'm a dreamer, man. You know, I dream and I chase those goals, right? Yeah, man, trust me. I know we, we've definitely sat around the couch talking about our dreams and shit. Yeah, I know. Right, right. and uh, so you set your goal, right? And that's where you want to be and you know where you are. And you have to go, okay, if I want to reach here in my goal, for instance, putting in football terms, my senior year, I want, or I want to go to the NFL, right? Well, my senior year, I have to be a two-time All-American. Well, to do that, I have to be a one-time All-American, right? And then where do I have to be to become an uh, All-American from my junior year, from where my sophomore year is at? And then I'm here, my freshman year coming in, right? And this is why I have to do my freshman year. So now you, know, you have the whole system breaking down in goal-oriented um, process. It's a lot easier to obtain and minimalize your tasks of, okay, you see the mountain of your dream, how are you going to climb it, right? Well, those goal setting and reverse engineering and thought process gives you the equipment to climb the mountain, right? Mm -hmm. So, And I just, I want to stop you for a second because yeah, I also remember having a lot of fun in college too, you know, it was a balance. It, it, It was, it was definitely a lot of, we had our goals and wanted to achieve them, but there was also uh, a thing of, hey, man, this is life. We get one shot at it. Like, let's enjoy our time here. And that's and it's funny. I wanted to bring this up later in the podcast, but I'll, I'll bring it up now is that's a huge impact you've had on me, like from from coming to John Carroll and seeing how your energy towards life, just everything, just like excited for every opportunity that comes up. It's like, yeah, man, I get to do this, you know, and, yeah. and I've had a lot of people in my life that, that have that perspective. And dude, it's it's contagious it's something else and it's it helps you in life man it really does uh a lot of people you know can be pessimistic or look at life as a a means to an end or something like that you know and i learned this at a very young age and it's why i live like that is my dad has a lot of old friends around him you know and a solid group of guys around him and same with my mom just great people that i was surrounded with um growing up and there was a lot of funerals I went to uh with my dad having older friends and whatnot and I it just made me think you know every time I was at funerals or every time I was at family events anything like that it was older people talking about stories and my dad's best storyteller you know he makes you feel like you're part of that story and I thought of it and I was like you know what I want to be able to be such a great storyteller like my dad to inspire people to live their life that it's all about the story that you create. And there's different chapters throughout that story. Right. Yep. And filling that really filling those chapters up really lets you focus on the process of what you're going through right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And live the moment and it forces you to. Um, So like you said, man, I mean that I'm glad you brought that up because that was a huge part of our college and Mm -hmm. it made college very enjoyable because it, the only thing is, you, in order to be a man at night, you have to be a man in the morning, right? So we knew how to have our fun, but like you said, we were goal-oriented, chasing our dreams, stuff like that. We knew how to take care of business mm-hmm. by in a switch, right? And taking care of the next morning, doing what we had to do. But damn sure had our fun. Damn sure had our fun. Exactly. Exactly. Anyways, man, you were talking about your junior year. So we get mm-hmm. through our junior year. 
that season was was something to watch for sure. And I was watching from a distance because I was still in my old school. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. seeing you guys and you and Todd, I think, were on the team at the time. And I think Reese was still on the team, right? Yeah, that junior year, yep. Yep, so I was seeing a lot of guys from Menor playing really well at John Carroll. You know, they're having a really good season, and they're getting into the playoffs, and you're about to play Mountain Union, which is a huge game. Like, walk through that game because that was – that was one to remember, and it's. I think it's one of the last times we beat Mount Union, unfortunately, but it was still an amazing game. Yeah, they. Uh, I mean, I'll. Re- that's a day I'll remember for the rest of my life. You know, and that's a story that would be told when I'm older. But they, the last time they beat us was uh, 1989, before 2016, and it was kind of interesting. My dynamic on our relationship on it, leading up to it with the opposing head coach. Uh, Vince cares because he wanted me to go to Mount Union too. And um, when he was recruiting me and I called him and told him, I said, I'd rather beat the best than join the best team. And oh, I think. Um, so I told him, I said, I appreciate everything you offered. You know, tell me I was going to be a guaranteed starter coming in as a freshman stuff like that. And I said, I'd rather and shown me all of his rings when he's recruiting me. And I respect the guy like crazy. I mean, he helped me a lot throughout my career, too. Um, so none of this is bad blood. I, I love this, this dynamic of it. But he told, I told him I'd rather beat the best and join the best. So I'm going to go to John Carroll. And he says, well, good luck, you know. And so I hang up. And that's where in my head I was like, come junior year, we're whooping these dudes' ass. You know, we're taking the OAC. And the OAC is our uh, conference that we played in. Um, so we go, we're playing at their place on top of it. And freshman year, we, uh, get beat by them on a crazy ending where they just made that rule where you can't spike it under three seconds. And we drove down that we're down six or something like that, or five and drove down the field, get on the seven yard lines and spike it with two seconds on the clock, literally snap the ball, hike two seconds on the clock, call the game call the game on the seven yard line, man, because of that. So we're beefing that game. And uh, at the end of that game, because we got robbed, you know, and then yeah. we go into the sophomore year and they end up whooping um, our ass. I think there was a target out to get me, to be honest, because <laughs> there was a few cheap shots that like were bad, you know, like one play of the tackles over and I just get cleaned, cleaned. And I'm looking at him and we exchange words and, uh, uh, beefing back and I just look at him like just wait bro just wait and so it all led up to this year the junior year we go playing at their place uh, sold out standing room only stadium I think it was uh, 14,000 people or something like that that were it's at the packed. It, was, it, was, it was a packed crowd yeah packed and um, it's an intense game it was a tight game the, the whole way I think we went up on them we got an early jump on them and shook it shook them because like they couldn't get anything on us and our defense was top three in the nation that year we were unbelievable and um we started playing <laughs> i haven't i it's i'm sorry i'm going down like memory right <laughs> no it's cool man I haven't, about, I haven't thought about this moment in a long time man in uh in quite a bit of time so yeah unbelievable man because there's just so many emotions coming over me thinking about it you know and so we come out and there's a couple of good speeches that we received pregame and 
Turpin, of course, on the sideline. Turpin it's on a the huge field. game, man. I, and for people who haven't been in that atmosphere, it's like the most testosterone running through your body. You're so nervous, but also like so excited at the same time. The right. butterflies are going crazy. They're chirping with the other team. You're just ready to go. You're ready to hit someone and be violent. Like it's it's, it's something right. crazy. Right. And um, I mean, all you hear is a crowd roaring, you know, and for some reason as a football player, all you hear is a crowd roaring and then the, your uh, coach's voice, you know, for some reason, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if this happened to you, but I, I drowned out the crowd noise and it's like I only heard the coaches scream. Yeah, you didn't hear it. And what, you kind of get used to it as the game goes on, unless it's like crazy. Like, I haven't been in an atmosphere where it's so loud. I can't hear my coach. Yeah, I can't hear at all. But it's like weird how it's, it, your mind's able to focus on sound like that. Um, but yeah, going in that game. So then we come out at halftime and it's still close. They come back or they score right before halftime, I think it was, and make it like a one touchdown game. But they end up uh, going up on us in the fourth, and we have a drive down the field where we end up getting a turnover, I think it was. It was crazy, man. There's, like, so many different highlights are going through my head right now because, um, like, the way the game started, we I think it was Rodell uh, took off the middle and housed, like, a 70-yard run or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the very night, that was the first possession. And then the next possession, they come out, and I'm covering their number one receiver, and he does a, a slant go post. And I'm, like, covering him, you know? And they throw the ball, and I intercept it, like, 30 yards down the field, second play on defense. And then that the place goes nuts. And we're I, I said if I got an interception, I was going to punt the ball, too, uh, <laughs> during the game. But I ended up just, like, launching it up. It's so funny because I have a video of the ref, like, trying to catch it after, and it goes, like, right through his arms. But the whole place is going nuts, you know? We had the um, – uh, uh our like turnover chain the um apollo creed rope so mm-hmm. i'm getting it i'm shaking it like crazy shaking like crazy and my dude ray brown was off sides and so we get pulled back on interception doesn't count and i'm gassed but thank god they we stop them on third down right there and then get the ball back so we come out the gates hot and quiet them like crazy so our front seven was unbelievable that year and like people feared us so bad because of the pressure we put on the quarterback made grown men cry like how abusive our team was we had david porter who's a stocky refrigerator dude man just taking up three people at a time Mm -hmm. um you know just athletes 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 and um Hold on, I was trying to think of uh, um... <laughs> you're good, you're good, man. So take so you won that game. That was a great game for yeah. For oh, the ending, oh, sorry, the, the ending of that game. Yeah, yeah. I because that's where I lost my spot. Um, the ending of the game. So we end up driving and had an unbelievable drive to score with like 12 seconds left on the clock or something like that, and take the lead on their home turf, right? And then our defense comes out and forces a turnover on downs or they had like 30 seconds or something. We had a turnover on downs quick four and out end up winning that game, making ESPN. That was the first time that they lost in uh, like 122 regular home season games, which is, you know, there's 10 games in the regular season. That's 12 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the longest standing uh, NCAA 
uh, regular season home streak, home win streak, and we snapped it. So we make ESPN, and going in the playoffs of that game, or after that game, we were like celebrities. Like news crews were at our practices all the time, and it's a Division three school, remember. Mm-hmm. So this is like unheard. That's how big that game is, though, like especially yeah. in Northeast Ohio and just – that Northeast region, like people know who Mount Union and John Carroll is. And at that time, you guys were the top two dogs in that. Both nationally ranked. Right? Yeah. They, were the number, they were the number one team in the nation. And they end up, uh, we beat the number one team in the nation in Mount Union at their place. So then we go and we have a home game against Olivet, I think it was. And we beat them. But there were some big dudes from Wisconsin, man, just like some – thick boys you know the quarterback <laughs> was like six seven uh 250 i think it was mm-hmm. and so it was a beat em up game and then we have um shit, what team was that from new jersey that came down and played i forget but it was another run smash mouth game and this team was pretty good uh coming in and we whooped their ass too and then we go to wisconsin to play whitewater and they were the number one team in the nation. And we beat them in their home turf, abuse these dudes. Again, their offense line, the Wisconsin offense linemen are unbelievable. They're, they're different. They're, I don't know what it is about Wisconsin offense linemen, but I think it's like all the cheese or something. They're the <laughs> biggest dudes ever. They're just big refrigerators and they're yeah, mean. Like they're very them. mean. Yeah. And, um, so we go and we whooped our ass and it was so sweet. It was on my 21st birthday, bro. We, their home field had a, on the top of the stands, it was like a national champ, championship factory or some corny shit like that. <laughs> and we come in and just mollywop them and then go and we end up losing in the national uh, semifinals to Wisconsin, Wisconsin Oshkosh, which, uh, hurt a lot because we were on a path of greatness that, you know, John Carroll wasn't used to. It's always Mountain Union, our conference, Mountain Union mm-hmm. win the national championship, you know, and John Carroll was those underdogs and everything was unfolding for my process the way I wanted it. I pictured it for myself. It was happening for everybody, you know? And so then we hang up that year and we had such a, like such a phenomenal year and, the greatness was so impactful that our whole coaching staff got wiped. Arth went to Chattanooga at that time. It's tough. Uh, it's tough. Man. Yeah. Arth went to Chattanooga. He took damn near our entire coaching staff. And then they end up going to Akron a couple years later. But then Staley, who left to go to Chattanooga, then he got hired by the Bears like 16 days after the season because mm-hmm. our defensive scheme was so advanced we were running an nfl playbook at division three level right so with that we a year their coaching changes is never never easy for teams you know it's like a power struggle kind of deal especially when you have the talent and a team that is coming off that success of a high note a new coaching staff is going to come in and try to instill their program and their authority and stuff like that and it could be very controversial at times um could work work very well but it was kind of a difficult transition that yeah that's that's senior year and that's that's the year I came in Mm -hmm. and it sucked because I I remember getting recruited by those guys that ended up leaving 
to those, to those colleges. And, uh, you know, we got a new coaching staff in. I love those dudes and I had more years with them than, than you did. So we kind of got more into a groove. Um, yeah, no, you know, shout, shout, shout out to Fanati, man. I love that guy. Yeah, but that, man, bro, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it's a tough position to be in, like mm-hmm. at, from a coaching pers- perspective and uh, a player's perspective. Like I have nothing but love for all those guys. And uh, it was just a challenging. It was, it was tough. It was, t- I mean, situation, especially for you guys, you know, I could see it in your, it's just a frustration because you were so great with this previous coaching staff. It was almost like you were set up for failure. You know what I mean? It's just one of those situations where you do the most you can, but you're at a disadvantage, man. And it it was tough for, for the players and for the coaches to kind of get a hold on that season. And I think we wound up, end up going what six and four, but you yourself had a great season and, and talk, talk a little bit about after that. And that's, that's kind of when the NFL thing started to happen and it started to become a reality for you. Yeah. So after my junior year, um, I had several accolades. Uh, I was linebacker of our conference, um, North region defensive player of the year out of the, so I was the only linebacker that was a defensive, uh, or region regional player of the year. And then I was a first team all American and I was the only junior on that list. Everybody else were seniors. So coming off that year, you know, we're ready to get this, get, kick this fucking door in, man. Or excuse my language. I don't know if we swear on this podcast, but that's all right, man. <laughs> yeah, I get amped up when yeah. I'm talking about this, man. You know, so <laughs> we come in ready to kick this door down. And uh, like I said, the whole coach's half wipe, scheme wiped, and I come in and it was tough, but I had to really focus on what I was trying to do that senior year and still lead this team um in a captain's position for greatness and motivate these guys to rally hey like we might be in an uncertain uh unfortunate circumstance but we make this happen right like we are john carroll we can put any coach in here and we're going to be successful we are what john carroll is mm-hmm. and it was still a hell of a time you know there's a lot of struggles and but a lot of good times that year as well so i came and i was linebacker of the year again that year um first team uh north region and then second team all american uh but followed it up with the exact accolades that i hadn't set setting goals for myself mm-hmm. so very quickly after that senior year is when the nfl process started ramping up there's a couple teams that came in uh talked to me um and then phone calls and then I'm trying to think of chronologically because this is where shit starts like getting crazy. <laughs> you know? I, I remember, man, I remember being a part of it. I was like, wow, this guy's really going through it right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that conversation we were having too about that. And you asked me like how, how I was handling it and stuff like that. And I was like, you know what? Like, I appreciate you asking me that because <laughs> a lot of people just see it and it's like, Oh, that's super cool. Super cool. Super cool. But it's a lot of mental struggle and a lot of, mental toughness that involves in making those decisions that are going to affect you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know? So during that time, um, the NFL was slow start with the recu- recruiting, but there was a couple teams that came to visit me. And then after that season, the winter came and I was going to start training for it. That January was when I was going to start training. Cause I always had a rule, like give myself at least two week off, two weeks off after the season and then it's balls to the walls. So 
if actually I remember correctly, no, I, I took two weeks off and then it was because it was different that year for me. So then, yeah, starting in January. Right. And two weeks off in um, and started and I wasn't hearing a lot of feedback um, there. Were, I was looking for an agent at the time, but I didn't sign anything yet. Then I had a bowl game in that I got invited to the Dream Bowl, which was an amazing experience. Gave me a lot of exposure as a D. I was the only, I think I was like one of maybe two or three D3 kids there, but it was all higher divisions besides the Power Five uh, conferences. So it was a lot of competition. So I'm talking to this guy thinking, you know, I'm going to sign him as my agent because um, he was the first one to reach out to me. His brother played at John Carroll. You know, there was more of a connection there and he, genuinely just like wanted me to succeed you know and obviously saw opportunity in me succeeding to want to put me on so i'm having communications with him and i go play in this dream bowl i believe it was january 15th so before i get to that i get a message on instagram because there was a um article that came out about me in our local newspaper before my senior year and i get a message on instagram asking he's like hey you ever think about modeling before and I was like when I first saw it there was no profile picture uh Instagram nothing right so I'm thinking here to myself I had an opportunity in fourth grade but I was gonna miss a night of youth football practice for like four weeks on a Wednesday yeah. night and I was like screw that like you're gonna think I'm gonna miss football practice I only get it for 10 weeks a year you know yeah exactly. like, I don't know as a fourth grader so I was like, I always thought about it in the back of my head, though. I was like, yeah, but like I would love to do it. So when I was a freshman, what I didn't mention earlier, when I was going into my freshman year in college, I told myself, by the time I'm a senior, I'm going to be training for the NFL and I'm going to be a, a full-time model. So these were goals that I set for myself because I want to preface this by saying my whole goal in life, it wasn't to be an NFL player. It's, it's not to be the best model. Um, I have aspirations. I'm pursuing acting now. It's not to be the best actor. My whole goal in life is to have my family name be a household name. I want McKenrick to be a household name because I truly believe I come from such an amazing, incredible family and their outlook on life, the values we share, um, just the type of people we are. It's inspired me to be who I am. And I feel like I carry myself as a representation of that, as well as my whole family members do. But I really want the best for them and think they deserve the world. You know, we were a middle-class family. We had most of what we, or all what we needed basically and most of what we wanted, you know, not saying we didn't go through hard, hard times because we definitely did, um, but not saying everything was always a struggle because it wasn't, right. I worked very hard for that. But my dad uh, had a different upbringing as well and worked hard for what he had. So instilling that in the outlook on life, that's what made me want to chase all this greatness for the McKenrick name to be a household name, to inspire people. Wow, like this is how they look at life. This is how they chase after things. This is their drive. Like it's contagious, like we were saying, you know? So I had those goals for myself. And January or December that year, I it was like December 13th, I think it was. And I'm looking at this message and I was like, you know what? you know, with all the catfishes and everything out there, you know, like what really is going on here? And I responded, I was like, yeah, I thought about it, but football was always my main goal, you know, and I didn't think I had time. And um, 
we two days later i get flown out for a magazine shoot with like a top photographer petra collins who shoots all these music videos she works with chance the rapper gucci man selena gomez like mm-hmm. all these top people and it was a hell of an opportunity and i was like hell yeah so i get there and i get in this hotel bro and it's like a, it's called the pod hotels here in new york and they're very small like let me map it out for you because it was literally eight foot by maybe eight foot and uh, it was bunk beds and i'm six three bro my calves like from here we're going through the end of the bed and there's tvs at the end of it i brought one of the beds down and put it on the floor mm-hmm. put the other one in front of the door and put the uh ladder up blocked it off so i didn't know what was going on you know i was like i'd be damned because i didn't tell my family <laughs> Prepare yourself, dude. You don't know. Yeah. You're in a little sardine can, dude. You don't know yeah, what's about that's to what happen. I'm saying, dude. I was like, I, I was honestly unsure. And I told my parents about it. I was like, look, like they're offering to fly me out. It's a legit magazine. Like, I think it's a real opportunity. But being from Cleveland, you know, where that stuff that isn't always normal. No. Um, very skeptical. Uh, being from Cleveland, it's not normal for those opportunities. So I was very skeptical on taking that risk. I talked to my parents. My dad's like, I don't know. I think it's bad timing because the NFL and that process. And my mom's like supporting it. She thought it was good, you know, but again, she, she I think she, her mindset too was, you know, football's the main focus here. Like, you only think it's going to be a distraction. It's like, hell no. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is exactly how I planned it to happen. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying this, a little bit of luck that has been involved throughout the process just happened and so I end up going out and being legit like more than anything I met with my mother agent who I'm still signed with today love him Jendi he has made this whole process of coming into this industry um so beneficial and um fruitful essentially you know because coming from a football world to this world I mean we can touch on that in a bit but it's just unbelievable the difference in the mindset and the drive um and what you're chasing after really in the process is all different so it's very um it's been a very good educational process as well um shaping who i am to this day so i go out there and the only person i told was my sister morgan who lived right next to my gym that i was training at so i go eat and i told her i was like look just in case something happens like i want someone to know that I went to New York real quick, you know, for a couple of days, just in case like, I'm gone or whatever. So I get back and I tell my parents about it. And I was like, look, like, I'm going to explain this to you guys. Like it was an opportunity of lifetime because that's what it was exactly. I was like, I went out there and everything was legit. I met my agents. They offered me a contract. Uh, I'm still signing with them today at Next. And I was like, this is what they're offering me this opportunity. And they're, they know that the NFL is my number one priority. I'm putting that first when I'm able to model and do all this, I will. And they're cool with it, which is unheard of. Usually if you're not coming up right now, like we're not going to sign you like, screw yep. it. so I was like, bet. And I'm training and going to the NFL. I was like, okay, well, I played linebacker in college, made my money there. Uh, but I was covering number one receivers coming off the edge at defensive end if I needed to, right? And on third down packages, which I love doing, I was like, I want to play safety in the NFL, save my brain a little bit, and be able to lose 10 pounds and model in the offseason, you know, the best of both worlds, essentially. Because mm-hmm. I knew NFL, 
stands for not for long, you know, and it's very temporary, temporary, whether that be a year, two years, 10 years for some guys, you know, it still is going to end at some point and there is a, a career to be had after. So um, I continue to keep my pro process and my focus driven on the NFL. And that February, I get called out for New York Fashion Week and I end up walking for Philip Klein and it's this unbelievable fashion show that this um, whole put together, it's like, there's this UFO that comes down from this huge warehouse ceiling that ends up going back up, was the DJ booth, fake snow, like uh, a walking robot that was like six foot tall or six foot eight or something like that. And functionable, everything like on its own live robot. It was unbelievable. But it was like an eye-opening experience, like, holy shit, man. Like, here you go. Like, this is New York fashion. Like, this is legit it, you know? And then in a couple months, I'm about to get drafted in, in the NFL. It was unbelievable. Which a dream come true, man. That's like it, it's it, you can't even make this up. Like, this is just the craziest. You know, how many people get the opportunity to do one of those things, let alone both of them at the same time? It's just nuts. It, it was such a blessing, man, because honestly, like, I was busting my ass going. I didn't go into all the struggles and stuff like that throughout those years because every chapter that I was saying of the story that I'm creating in my life has had such an antagonist or a problem or adversity that you have to overcome. But we always adapt and react to adversity, brother. You know, we just keep rolling with the punches. And there's nothing that I believe that I can't overcome, accomplish, figure out, determine, whatever it is, if I'm 100% believing in myself, right? So with that, we fast forward. I don't get drafted. Um, the process I had pro days, um, there was like five teams wanted me to play safety, five teams wanted me to play linebacker. I was wanting to play safety, the Ravens. Uh, they were telling me, you know, we went first, second down, and then third down linebacker. They were calling me twice a week, taking me out to lunch, being at my pro days, all this stuff. Um, I played in that bowl game, end up balling out in that bowl game. And every, I was undersized at that bowl game. Everybody's looking at me like, you're a linebacker. And I was weighing like 210, two, yeah, like 210, something wild at that time. Mm -hmm. And, um, just looked at like a joke. And then I get in there and I start whooping these dudes ass. I'm filling the A gap. I'm covering receivers. Like shit's not getting past me. And I make a name for myself. I'm coaching the entire deep. Like this is what I'm saying. Like the wizardness that Brendan Staley instilled into me and the way I watch football break down the game, film process, all that. I came in here and uh, essentially coached the defense that we were running because it's the same system. Like they just didn't know the terminology and they didn't know how the difference between cut two, cut three, you know, push, push two, all these different terms that just define things of like, look, this is what you have to think of. This is where mm -hmm. you have to stop. Like, this is what you have to watch for. And um, I really make my name there. I had like a 38 and a half inch vertical there, dude. I was like bomb besides my size. So I already had one scout from the Ravens contact me before that game. And then one scout at that game who was uh, saw me and he's like, bro, like, what's up? You want to be a Raven? And I was like, all right, you know, let's get it. So they're telling me I'm going to play safety third down linebacker, right? So I'm like, yeah, I'm telling you, I'm going to be 210, 215. If you want me to gain the weight, I'll gain the weight. So I'm saying that this because I'm comfortable. I'm feeling dangerous. I'm feeling the best I, I, I need to feel to be successful. 
And so the draft comes around. I don't get drafted. I was told I was going to get picked in the fourth round or on. They end up picking a different linebacker instead of me. Um, and But I get called. I had a hell of a time with family and friends, you know, a whole extravaganza. I get called uh, two minutes after the draft, get a contract offer uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. So I signed that. I was like, hell yeah, you know, like I'm ready to be a Ravens. I was, I was looking forward to it because it, it means something different. If you know the NFL, it means something to play defense for the Baltimore Ravens, you know. And it's just one of those things. The Steelers as well, they're just known for their defense. Yeah, top-notch. Absolutely. So I'm pumped. I show up. I go to rookie camp. I walk in. I'm thinking I'm playing safety. Third on linebacker. 38 was my number. 38, the gang. We're going to be here. They hand me my iPad. It says number 59 on it. And I'm like, <laughs> shit. I'm about to get cut. I'm about to get cut, man. And I'm going through such a mental fuck. Like, honestly, bro. Like, to get real with the emotions on there, I was devastated. Devastated. Because I told them, if you're going to have me play linebacker, I will gain this weight. And I go in there and I was like, okay, look, again, like any other adversity, control what you can control. You know how good you are. You know what you have to provide. You know what you have to offer. Control what you can control. I cannot control that I was 210, filling the A-gap against two dudes that were 6'7", 330, cost me like five yards in the air, right? But I did control setting the edge. Orlando Brown, their uh, offensive tackle, their number one pick that year, set the edge on him, technique, whooped him, had a tackle for a loss, chased down Lamar, uh, I sacked him. I caught, I caught, some, uh, caught him running from the back, bro, in practice, didn't touch him because, of course, I right. wanted to keep my hands after practice, you know. And uh, But Orlando Brown, after that practice, he's like, Cleveland, Cleveland, yo, Cleveland. Uh, he's like, that was the best hand technique I've ever – uh, gone against and I'm like damn bro like I appreciate that this dude played at Oklahoma you know like that's a high compliment dude that's yeah, crazy that's yeah. this dude's a first round draft pick just told me I had the best hand technique he's ever gone against and uh, I'm feeling good you know but I know like that circumstance that I was put being at that disadvantage walking in I had to be perfect I had to be perfect but I'll be honest with you I wasn't perfect and it hurts <laughs> I was perfect a lot of times when I needed to be. And that mental battle um, got to me a little bit then. And I let it cloud my process of learning the playbook, the terminology and stuff like that. And it hurt, man. And so I'm going through there and I ended up making just too many mistakes. And I was explaining that they took the guy in front of me because I wasn't 230. Mm -hmm. I was better in every category. Besides, I wasn't 230, they said. And the fact that – and this dude made more mistakes than I did, right? Mm-hmm. But the bonus was $3,000. My signing bonus was $3,500, and his signing bonus was 80000 because he's drafted in the fourth round. And they're like, it's an investment. So – and that's the unfortunate side of the business, but it's true. And I told him, I can't fault you. The business, like, man. Like, that's yeah, a hard like, thing to come to grasp with. And like, yeah, I was like, I know, I was like, I can't fault you, man. I was like, I know I made two, I had to be perfect if I'm going to be the size right now and have you guys have faith in me that I'm going to grow in the right way that you're expecting me to grow. I was like, and I know I didn't do it, but I was like, I'm pissed off because I can gain this weight like that. You had two scouts tell me that I was going to play for safety. And mm-hmm. I met with, 
John Harbaugh, ate dinner with him for like 45 minutes, an hour, just one-on-one. -on -one. I met with the D coordinator, uh, linebacker coach and director of player personnel. They all asked me the same question. Why aren't you 230? I said, bro, <laughs> I would have gained this weight, you know, but and I explained it all to them. And they're like, well, we didn't need a safety. That doesn't make sense. I was like, doesn't make sense to me. And uh, so I go home, head high, you know, like, of course, devastated. But again, you know, it's there. I can taste it. Discourage so many different feelings going through my body, doubt. Um, and I get home and I'm like, screw it. You know, they tell me, they tell me, go home, gain the weight. We're going to call you back in July. Right. So I'm going home thinking like, is it even worth it? Like I had such a small window to get there in the first place, coming from D3, all this. And now my size coming from D3 and the window just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm not someone, that, I'm someone who it doesn't matter how small that window of opportunity is. If I really believe I can open it, I can mm -hmm. open it, right? And I know I can do it. So I'm thinking, you know, should I do it? Should I not? Should I do it? Should I not? And I'm coming home. And by the time I got home, I decided, I was like, look, like I have the opportunity modeling. Uh, I can pursue acting once I get to New York. Um, I know a lot of people are going to have a hard time with this, but I was like, it's honestly what I want to do. I saw the immediate success, the immediate glamour, of course, but I saw the opportunity of a target audience of 32 teams in the NFL or a target audience of potentially the entire world, right? As being that kind of celebrity uh, public figure type person where everybody knows the McKendricks now, right? And I thought that in my process, I was like, look, like, I think I'm going to go this way. So I get home. Uh, you were definitely part of that conversation. Uh, a lot of our roommates were at John Carroll. My parents were. And if it wasn't for you guys, I would have walked away right there. Swear to God. Swear to God. I was ready. And Pruitt, he was a big influence on it, too. Um, you know, a couple of you guys just said, tell me, they're like, look, man, like, you're not even going to try to gain the weight. You're not even going to do it. And I was like, I can do it, but I can just be this weight, lose 10 pounds right now and be good to model, or I gain this weight, I have to lose it all. And when I want to try it, you know? So I was like, all right, you know, screw it. I'm going to do it. So I gain the weight. I don't tell, or I tell my parents I'm going to continue pursuing it. Mm -hmm. I gained 20 pounds in 12 days. I had 4% body fat and I was eating, I got up to 233 in 12 days, like, on the dot. I was eating nine to 10 meals a day. Every three hours I was drinking or every three hours I was eating a full meal of chicken or pork, uh, mixed fried rice, uh, asparagus or mixed veggies. Um, I was eating that every three hours until I went to bed from the minute after I trained to when I went to bed and then um, drank three gallons of water, four mass gainer shakes, two protein shakes. Uh, I would eat a p two PB peanut butter and jellies <laughs> An hour Dude, and a half. were you training for the strongman or playing football? Oh, like, Jesus. Football. But I was running a four or five, dude. I was, <laughs> I was quick. I was still quick. I remember, man. Yeah. And uh, I'm telling you, you remember how big I was, right? It was like, a, it was just like. And you were training and you were training with T-Rob at the time. And dude, your numbers cool. shot up. I, like, if you would, if I wouldn't have known you personally from the outside, look at him like, this dude's thinking something. He's yeah. huge right now. But yeah, dude, you, you got up to that size and you, you really, you know, did the, the work required to get to the, the weight you needed to get to. 
Right. And uh, like you said, C-Rob, Tim Robertson, our trainer, uh, strength and conditioning coach from John Curl, who is a genius, a genius, and has trained athletes. Um, you good? Can you hear? Yeah, I'm good. So um, we trained under him at John Carroll for four years and how he breaks everything down and why we do this, why we do that, the importance of uh, instability, training, injury prevention, all that stuff. Um, and I was able to train for him for two more years after that. So that's a, where I'm a certified personal trainer too now. So this is something I do on the side. And that's where, you know, almost all my knowledge comes from was Tim Robertson. You know, of course, I do my own research, my own studying, but the breakdown of workouts and how I train my entire life since is because of Tim Robertson. Mm -hmm. So his system and my work ethic and my dedication to my diet and stuff like that, I was doing nothing but going to class sometimes and <laughs> eating all the time and training, you know, and um I ended up going, I had to move my finals around when I went to New York that time too, mm -hmm. in the, that December, because it was during finals week. So I had to shuffle th some things around and I had a job interview in New York that I had to go to, which was very important. And uh, my teachers, a lot of them, a lot of my professors helped me out with that, but it was just like crazy time that I didn't tell my parents I was dipping during finals week. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man. So I gained that weight. I was 233 at my max weight. I was squatting uh, 435, four sets of five. Then I would hang cling four sets of two at 335 and then bench uh, 335, four sets of five. I think the most I got up to bench was 345, maybe four sets of five. See, that's and, and like, like if you don't know, you're a super long person. So like a lot of those lifts are hard for you. But, dude, I remember seeing you hang clean. Like, I think it was when I transferred in, we're maxing out, right, trying to do as much weight as possible. Yeah. And you get up there, you fail at 275. And I'm just oh, thinking, yeah. I'm like, yeah, no way, dude. What the hell is going on? Comes up. It was like four in a row. You just kept going up. I don't even know what you ended up, but it was like, it might have been like 335 or 325 at the time. But, like, yeah. 50 pounds more and you, you just failed at 275. It made no sense. Yeah. It was, it, it was honestly, and even uh, T-Rob at that time was like mind blown because it was legit four times. And I believe it was Pruitt going next to me and he was failing too, or maybe it was Stan. I can't remember, but uh, somebody next to me was failing the same way, that same amount of time. And like two weeks before I got 295, like no problem. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We're going 90, 95% max effort. And I'm sitting here and I'm like on the fourth one, I fail. And I'm like, bro, like my wingspan, I think it's 78 uh, inches. I think it is, or maybe, yeah, 78 inches, but or maybe 76 and a half. I can't remember, but long arms, long limbs for that, those movements. Right. So I fail four times. And if it wasn't for Peter Sand next to me going, uh, head to head with me, I would have, I would have stopped. Cause they're like, all right, one more. And I'm like, bro, no shot. We're going to get it, but all right, fine. One more. Like I'm getting this, you know? Mm -hmm. So then I got it. And from that point on, I added like five, I ended up doing like five more reps and it was 335. I got to, and it was like 
275, then I went to two, uh, yeah, 295, and then I went to 305, then I went to 325, then I went to 335, and just like cranked it out. That <laughs> it was nuts, man. It was a crazy, it was a crazy experience. But yeah, dude, you were training like a you were, it was crazy amount of training. I mean, that's all you were doing that summer trying to gain that weight was just training, eating, and that's it, man. That was life, and that was your goal. Yeah. But and when, when was it like, I, I do remember a time where, it kind of clicked in you, like, am I really doing the right thing? And, and what kind of, you know, sparked that reaction in your brain? Because, you you know, you're goal-oriented. Goal so it's right. like, what's going to make me stop? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so why I'm – it was actually the phone call because I was going until I got that phone call back, right? So a lot of um, – yeah, no, I have uh, – I thought that was – trying to mix in, but I'll go to that after. So that phone call in July. So when they said, Hey, in July, be two 30, we're going to call you back and bring you in. I said, okay. So I committed to it. I was like, all right, NFL is still my number one goal. I just gained 20 pounds in 12 days. Try me. I was like, let's go. Like send my shit to other teams. Let them know I'm two 30. Like, let's go. And my agent almost didn't believe it either. He's like, bro, shut up. Like it's been 12 days. You're going to tell me you gained 20 pounds. Legit. And I was like, bro, I'm so massive and so quick right now. Yes, it's legit. Like, let's go. Like, I'm only getting better every single day, improving my numbers. Like, my workouts essentially from Monday and Friday were the same thing. Besides, um, I was throwing on 20 pounds more by that Friday than I had on Monday. So, um, they call me and I get on the phone with them. And I was like, you know, how's it going? They're like, good. They're like, you 230 yet? And I was like, bro, I've been 230 for the past three months. You know, I was, like, <laughs> I was like, I gained that on 12 days after because again, I told you I would have gained it. You know, I didn't say it like that, of course, but I yeah. was like in my head, I'm like, I told you. That. <laughs> right. Um, so then I tell him that and he's like, awesome, that's great to hear. Like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, so our current situation right now, you know, we have a max roster. So if somebody gets injured or, uh, as soon as we cut somebody, you're going to be the first guy we bring in. And I heard that and I'm like, bro, you just made me go home because you told me that I could be 210. Then you tell me in that to be 230 in July. Right. So now that I'm 230 in July, you're gonna tell me that you're going to now have me wait for somebody to fail, essentially for me to get my opportunity, somebody to fail or get injured and blow their chance for me to get my chance. I was like, no, I'm not waiting for somebody to fail for me to start my future. I was like, I have this opportunity. I try to, I gave my, my best. I was like, I'm here and I know I can do it, but I don't like the idea of having somebody fail waiting for failure for me to succeed. Right. So I told him, I was like, with all due respect, I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate your guys' time you invested in me. But I was like, I have opportunities that I'm going to uh, be pursuing in New York. I told him modeling acting. I was like, thanks, but I'm going to have to respectfully say no. And he's like, no, uh, he's like, no issue with that. That sounds amazing. He's like, honestly, this is the first time I've ever heard uh, this situation happen. He's like, um, but that sounds incredible. And I wish you all the best in your future. Uh, so that was really the turning point where it kind of was like, what am I doing? Waiting for someone to fail for me to get the opportunity because that window is already so small. And now me being 230, apparently it is so small. 
I know I can invest this time, invest this time and this work and effort, but how, where's it going to get me? Or I can chase after this by this fire is hot in New York right now and get that ball rolling where I can lose this weight and chase that where I'm already headed towards my more of a life goal now instead of my kid's dream. So what I say to people when they ask me that question, I was like, my, I made my dream come true. I signed that $1.7 million contract. Never saw that money, <laughs> but I signed the NFL contract that shit will be hanging in my office in my house. You know, like my dream came true. I went there. I had my name on the back of NFL jersey. I was an NFL player for three days. And that's all I needed. More to than more than I can say, more than I would say 99 percent of the, the people who play ball at a college right. or high school. You know what I'm saying? Like you really you really did it like, you know, you might see it as oh man, a little disappointing, but. At the end of the day, bro, you did it. Yeah. Like, that's that's yeah. the goal. I appreciate that a lot, man, because, you know, a lot of people say you look at it like you got cut, you didn't make it. Well, he wasn't good enough. Like, he wasn't he wasn't good enough. He didn't have it. He didn't have it. And it's like, no, even for being there, you have it. You're a part of that 1%. And it goes mm-hmm. for all those guys that have gotten cut that were almost there, that tasted it, but it got ripped away for whatever reason. Yep. You were If you were a consideration, I told my dad there was a, th- there was a time throughout the process. I was like, you know what is, like – so rewarding throughout this like journey is the fact that my name is in the conversation room of 32 NFL war rooms right now. These, all these dudes that are in the NFL that are the like big brains behind the process of teams, coaches, all this stuff, they're all talking about, they're at least having a conversation of this kid from Cleveland that played division three football. Mm-hmm. And that in itself was enough gratification I guess I could say that I was like you know I really did make my dream come true and that first dream led me to my second dream and now I'm still here currently chasing my second dream and that year was like the craziest mental roller coaster I've ever gone on in my life you know it's like my senior year in college I'm missing out on all the parties I'm not going to um um what's that island over by Cedar Point oh Putin Bay Putin Bay with uh, the whole gang putting bay with like all the seniors on the trip i'm missing st patty's i'm missing all these parties i was like the party's always gonna be there dude the party's always gonna be there the, the party goes where you are right <laughs> no, no no not not that way the, <laughs> like, the party's always gonna be there as in if you miss tonight drinking with your friends if you and this goes to everybody that you can relate it within yourself if you're driven to something and you have commitment and you're trying to give in to either decide to give in to peer pressure and go have this beer, go smoke, party with your friends, do whatever, or you can go sober and stay committed to your diet, your commitment to excess, all this stuff, that party is going to be there next week after your competition or the party's going to be there in two months or a year from now. People are always going to be doing those parties because it's a lot harder to stay dedicated to your dreams, marry your dream, marry your path. And that temptation is equivalent to the shadow of fear, you know, because if you give in that temptation, if you give in that shadow of fear, you won't be able to shine in the light under success because you're giving in that temptation is taken away from your process. So as hard as it was missing out, hanging sharing those memories with a lot of my friends where that was the last time we're all going to be living in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. 
and then deciding, okay, well, should I continue with football? Okay, I got signed in the NFL. Okay, I got cut. Okay, I'm signed as a model. Okay, things are going great. Things are going shitty. It was such a year of like, what the hell, <laughs> dude? And yeah. Yeah. So when I got cut, I was my dad was helping me out. You know, like shout out Pat McHenrick, Ellen McHenrick, my parents. You know, because honestly, and my my obviously my entire family, everybody in my family contributed and helping me throughout this process in their own unique way, right? And um, whether it be financially, emotionally, um, like physically feeding me or anything like that, you know, um, they really supported me. And that's why I'm driven to accomplish my and dream goal and having my house, my name, household name, right? Because mm-hmm. as I may have been able to do all this greatness and stuff like that, I would never have been able to do it without any of them. And that's what makes it so special for me. Um, I think I think a big reason, and, and just to kind of follow up on that point, man, it's it's super powerful to hear that from you. You know, saying I want to make my name a household name, and for a lot of people, family is everything. And like right. you were saying, they've supported you in some of your your darkest moments and some of your your highest moments. So like your family. It, it's tough to kind of put that in a shell and, and kind of say, you know, how do I make it better or whatever? And I think what you're doing, it's so it's, it's really cool, man, is you want to make it proud. You want to you, you want to put that on the pedestal and say, hey, this is these are the McKenricks. This is what we're, this is what we're about. Yeah. And, you know, you want to be a model for that last name, which is cool, man. I think that's that's an awesome reason why. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And I, I really do. And it's, it's extended more um, than just my immediate family bloodlines too. Like when, you know, my corny OTF tattoo, only the family, baby, that <laughs> is real to me though. And that's why I got that tattoo. You, all my close friends involved, my brothers, you know, it's like I would not have been able to do anything that I have done if it wasn't for you guys, whether it just be as little as belief or, hey, I got you, man, or like, hey, you got this or oh, that's cool. Or, Hey, let's do this. Let's hang out. Let's whatever it was along the process, even little conversations, big conversations. That time we shared the bullshit spring ball, snow on the ground where army crawl in through it together. Like all those little shits added up into why I do what I do. You know, those, those little value moments that I cherish is really what drives me, man. So I would say definitely that phone call, is what switched me um, to wrap all that up to answer that question. And that phone call is what like put the stamp on that note and said, yo, you know, this, this chapter is it. And cause after I called him, I didn't even talk, talk to my parents about it. I didn't like, obviously that phone call happens. I have to answer and go about that conversation right there. It's game time decision. So I went home that night to my dad and I, I took a couple hours that day. And just like the process and like throughout that day, I was processing that information and I go home and my dad's out working in the garage and I go up to him. I'm thinking, I'm just like, I'm really about to tell my dad something that we've connected with brought us so close together that I'm about to hang it up, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that was like one of the hardest conversations, man. 
And uh, I, dude, I, I'm right there with you. I had to have the same conversation and it's, I think it's harder than telling the coaches or, you know, in your case, your agent or whatever is like, Hey man, I'm, I'm done because you were doing it. And like you were saying, just going back to the family thing is you're doing it so much to make, you know, especially in our cases, our fathers proud. Like we want to, we want to see them look at us and we we both have fathers who were athletes and played football. So it's almost like, you know, they're looking at us and saying, you know, I really raised this kid well. And and that's what, what you want your, your dad to say and to have that goal and, to tell them like, Hey man, I'm, I'm done. This is it. It's tough. But I think at least for me, you know, he's, he supported me a lot in, in my decision. And I'm sure the same for you. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. And that's what, that's what made it easier. You know, like it didn't take it all away because I, I can tell, I can tell, you know, like it hurt the man, you know, and, you know, I'm crying, having this conversation my, my dad's emotional guy. I'm an emotional guy, you know, and I value that. And, you know, we had a very touching uh, moment and I was able to explain this process and my mindset behind it, what I'm trying to do in my life uh, to him, you know? And I was like, unfortunately, football just isn't that path anymore. I was like, but I did it. I want you to know, like, I accomplished my, my dreams. Like, I'm satisfied with what I've accomplished. I'm not satisfied with what I'm accomplishing in life yet. But I was like, I am satisfied enough to, I'm able to hang it up and move on and chase this and even knowing that this is about to open up a whole can of shit storms you know of like more adversity different challenges and uh take me on a whole different type of roller coaster than football did that i almost quit football twice in 10th grade and going into college that i could have never even had this opportunity and got me here but learning that yo don't quit keep going has propelled me so far in my life because of that seeing that journey of the football process from beginning to end and be able to hang my head high on it yeah absolutely dude and and I just want to circle back on the the relationship part of everything that you know you went through you talk about the brotherhood in football the family through those tough decisions Um, but I think there's a, a flip side to that that a lot of people don't talk about and it's something you know negative so you don't want to bring it up but there's also, you know, those negative opinions about you and, and some of your friends who you thought were supporting you were actually just supporting the dream through you. And we kind of talked about that earlier, too. Um, but I wanted to ask you, how did you kind of overcome others' opinions of your you know, next step in life? Yeah, um, it has been very challenging and it still is challenging. It's I think you're always going to have people that show love, fake love, hate, and jealousy hate, right? So love, you can really tell, well, I won't say everybody, I'm very blessed with being able to read people and um, the ability to tell like when things are genuine and stuff like that. But you can, once that I made that decision, you were able to see, like I said, the people that wanted you to do the football thing and, uh, you know, see that and see you happy and successful through the football thing. And then the people that want to see you happy, successful in whatever you want to be chasing. Exactly. So that was very difficult for me in a lot of um, older figures that I looked up to a lot. Um, A lot of people that I worked with, um, friends that were kind of like 
on the bubble, <laughs> you know, of, like you could be a close friend, but like, I think you think I'm just cool that like, you're not really trying to be my friend. You're just right. trying to be around what I'm doing to be my friend. And, um, how I dealt with that was kind of the mindset of you'll see when, you know, and the same way with how I deal with like doubters, people that doubt, cause so many people doubted me. If I would have, if I would have, buddy um when it freezes i'm just gonna like pause for a second okay gonna... good I, I i thought that you were doing that but okay yeah. that's good. okay because i wasn't sure but yeah so um when if i could uh what was that? i forget my point sorry if i could go through if i would have said before my junior year to anybody that i was wanting to go to the nfl i had this dream as realistically myself this was a realistic dream my ninth grade going uh or 10th or 12th grade going into my freshman year of college right right so i keep saying ninth grade of college i don't know why <laughs> so if i would have said that to anybody they would have been like you're insane you're crazy you're crazy like nobody everybody thought like uh like he's a hard worker like missing like he could maybe but mm-hmm. nobody would have thought like mason going to the nfl or anything out of high school anything like that and i always thought in my head like I mean, I told people when I was serving ice cream and when I was 16 that I was going to go to the NFL, you know, like I told people a a few times, but nobody took it serious. And um, it's the same way with I deal with those people that it's kind of like they're upset at me or something like that. I was like, you'll see when you'll see when I get to where I'm going that already saw me there. I've already been there because I've already envisioned it for myself what I'm talking about. I've seen this for me. I see this path. I've lived this, this path in my head and I know what I want and what I want to chase after. You'll see when I get there, when I got signed the NFL, those people saw when I got there, there were so many people that throughout my life that have circled back and have shown me so much love and respect because they showed me so much resentment or hate or doubt that they're like, I have to just give you respect, man. And yeah. we were all talking shit earlier, but you said you were going to do this. Everybody would make fun of you for it, talk crazy. Uh, and no matter what aspect, not even just the NFL, but um, I get picked on or whatever it was when I got bullied, they, they come back and be like, dude, like I have to just show you respect. Like out of all that time, you never uh, like bark back or like talk shit back or like said anything in a negative light of like, well, screw you. If you don't believe me, anything like that, it's like, I respect you, you know, for thinking that I can't do it, but you're going to see when I get to where I'm going type attitude. And uh, that's really how I deal with that because it was a hard, like um, an older guy I worked with at a crane rental. You gotta understand when I said I was taking a huge step back after I walked away from that money to pursue this dream, I took a huge step back, man. And um, it's allowed me to relearn myself, regrow and grow in different ways, but still be who I am, you know. Um, But one of the old guys that I worked with at a crane rental, I was working at a crane rental 40 hours a week and delivering pizzas uh, for 30 hours a week. And then that was before you were going to New York, right? That was right after the NFL, right before I went to New York. And I was uh, driving Lyft for like two hours after the crane rental job before I went to uh, serve pizza some nights. And uh, that one guy that I worked with at the crane rental, you, you know, I still call him, keep in touch with him, but it hurt him 
so much that I wasn't, so we dreamed about it together, you know, flipping tires, you know, paying cranes, sanding cranes, <laughs> talking about it, we dream it together and stuff. And there's so, like some people that in my life that have looked up to me so much and how I carry myself with football, that that's what hurt me a lot and made the decision so hard was almost letting those people down. But you know, like, you know, I'm not letting them down, but it's like, it feels like you're letting them down. Yeah, okay. exactly. It's my life, you know, that it's your life to live. You can't think that you're letting someone down because you're not doing what they expect you to do with your life. That's stupid. But it's that feeling that you're letting somebody down because you know they wanted the best for you if you were doing this. And that's why I still love, so I have love for all those people and anybody that is like lost contact with me or maybe change your viewpoint about me in some type of way. Um, because I know what I'm doing isn't what everybody would be doing, you know? And there's a lot of people that uh, see what I'm doing and have their opinions about it compared to where I was and what I was doing with football. Mm-hmm. And um, how I handle that is like, honestly, I'd show love and I respect their opinions. You know, there's been some very close friends of mine that can't look at my Instagram. And I'm like, dude, I understand that. You know, I post some like corny flexing pictures a lot, you know, but it's part of the industry. Like, it's part of what I'm doing right now to better myself for what I'm trying to accomplish. Uh, but I know you still have love for me. This friend specifically, I was like, I know you have love. Oh, you have love for me because you're my brother and we've gone through all this stuff together that if you don't like my Instagram picture, bro, I'm not going to hate you, dog. Like, I'm <laughs> so boys, like, that's just my workplace. And for a lot of people, social media is their place of social networking, connecting. But for me, it's kind of like a workspace. So there's been a lot of different angles that uh, has surfaced from making that switch with people that have supported me and loved me so much for doing the football and being the football player, Mason. And once that broke off in so many different ways of how people <laughs> took what I was doing, dude, it was like, it was it was pretty fascinating because at first, like, like I said, my mom, she would ask me for um, the following years after like the next year or two, like, Hey, you thinking about going back? Are you thinking about going back? Or you still want to play? Do you miss it? Do you miss it? I'll always miss football, but I just, I have bigger dreams of mine, you know, but it's something that I'll always miss, always value and always cherish. But it was a chapter that I put a close to, um, but yeah, the way I, I handle that, like I said, is just the you'll see when kind of attitude because I've been doubted quite a bit in my life. <laughs> and if I didn't have my my people around me, of course, um, but most importantly, I think it's, you know, that belief in me, myself and I and the people I surround myself with and um, just having that undeniable once be great and that I'll show you when type kind of attitude mm-hmm. and I do keep a mindset of I remember this conversation of doubt and I I, I fantasize of the conversation of you telling your kid that I met him when I told him he couldn't do exactly what he's doing today you know right and that stuff gets me going because I think of that I'm like okay this dude just met me at a giant eagle I haven't seen him in four years or whatever Look at me saying giant eagle like I'm back home in there. 
<laughs> there's no giant eagles out here dude <laughs> oh man yeah that's so funny but i see this dude at giant eagle and he's like oh my god bro like i remember i used to pick on you so bad in high school and like i just got to tell you you know i respect you like crazy i love you like crazy bro because like i tell my kids or i'm gonna tell my kids or i'm gonna tell uh my nephew or something like that how you carry yourself and even though i don't know you personally but i know how i treated you in high school and i know what you told me back that i'll see when or that it's okay like i don't care what you think i'm gonna still continue doing what i want to do i believe that i can do this so who are you to tell me i can't that attitude is what inspires greatness for me and that mindset behind it is honestly what drives me in overcoming that because it is very difficult when people doubt you, especially when your loved ones want you to do something different, you know? Yeah, and it, it's tough, man. System, yeah, your support system wants the best for you, of course, and everything. And it's like, it's very challenging, very challenging. But it's like, I know you love me and you support me. You just don't see the vision I have for myself right now, but you will win. So, 100%, man. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's tough to accept the positive things that come to you and then block out the negative. You know what I mean? You, you got to take them both. And it's, right. it's hard to, to adjust those two out. Right. And that's what I was going to say that um, I was going to correct you, but you already did. I was like, I never don't ever block out the negative, accept it for what it is, because that is only going to propel more positive. A positive thought outweighs a negative thought. So you can have 50 negative thoughts, but if you have Four positive thoughts, those 50 negative thoughts aren't shit because they're so minuscule compared to these positive energy thoughts, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people have a heart and I definitely have. And I've kind of changed my perspective on this is instead of fighting those negative thoughts and always just being at war with your own mental process, you need to learn to like accept it and understand it and have it be something that you work through. It's, it's not putting up your guard and saying like, this stuff doesn't happen or it's, you know, who cares about the, the haters? You're still hearing it. You're still processing that information. So when you're always fighting it, you're just creating this battle in your head. And when, exactly. When you're at peace with it, man, when you're just at peace with all those thoughts, you start to really focus on the positive and understand the important ones. And, and that's kind of what I wanted to bring to is that core group. I think we might have. Are we good now? Yeah, you said that's when you start to understand what. Yeah, yeah. So the so the core group of people, and and I talked about this with uh, Cal as well as having you know a set number of friends or family that you respect their opinion. You know, no matter yeah. what, you really, you really whatever they're gonna say to you, you take it to heart, you understand it, and you really process it and apply it to actual real life situations. Right. So having that core group of people understanding and believing in you and your dreams i think that's really all you need you know who cares about those people who have those negative thoughts and, and all that kind of stuff it's what does my core group think about me what are the people that i respect and i look up to think about me instead of the people that are just kind of looking up to you and, and passing judgment what right. do those those top friends and family think about my actions and, and the stuff that i'm doing Exactly. And if they're the passing judgment, they're not in your core group, because I'll go back to my point. All you need is the belief in me, myself and I and the people you surround yourself with. If you start with me, myself and I, that's already surrounding yourself with three people. All right. 
three people. You can, you can be your biggest support system and you can be as big as you need it and you can be as little as you want it to be. And then the people you surround yourself with. I mean, I don't know how, how many times that everybody can hear this quote. You surround yourself with people with the same mission in mind, right? Or the same drive for greatness. Whatever word you want to throw in there, it's the same idea, right? And I couldn't agree more with what you just said about it's not about filtering or blocking out those negative thoughts because if you do that you're wasting energy on fighting oh that's not happening oh someone called me ugly oh no 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 it's like okay someone called me ugly that's your opinion okay is it gonna affect me today no is it gonna affect me tomorrow no what is my drive my vision where i'm going oh he's he's lazy or any negativity word that somebody wants to throw at you? No? Okay, you want to prove that person wrong? Well, by doing that, that's positive energy in going the direction that either A, you're already going, or B, if there was any truth in that dude calling you lazy, dumb, whatever, like, if there was any truth in that, then you're eliminating that truth anyway by fighting against it, right? It's a positive thought towards it. It's not a negative that it's like, hold me back, like, you're bullying me and holding me down and putting me down. So I'm allowing you to do that if I'm blocking out or wasting that energy. But if it's like, okay, you come with it, what you're coming with, you're at peace with yourself and you stay driven to where you're going and you believe in yourself, me, myself, and I, and the people I surround myself with, it's hard to fight that. It's hard for those negative thoughts to get in. Thanks, dude. I think you talked about a really good process too of, of taking those negative thoughts and kind of letting it fuel you to to reach your goals and to reach those things that you want to accomplish. I mean, it's the law of energy, man. It can either be created or destroyed. And we're taking that negative energy, turning it into something positive and, and something that's actually constructive in your life and, and helps you get through tough times and, and reach your goals. So yeah, man, anyways, we've been on this podcast for, for a really long time. Um, I want to be cautious of, of your time. So I just want to, Stop with one question, man. Last question of the day here. And take your, as much time as you want answering it. But if you could go back and sit down with yourself, you know, your, let's say, 18-year-old self, what would you tell yourself? You know, what to expect and all that kind of stuff. It's a really good question. 18, let's see, 18, that we'll say going into college or – already started college 18 let's uh let's stay let's be super specific about this let's say you just got into camp man you're you're packing yourself up in your dorm you're about to head out to your first day of two days going into your freshman season (laughs) that's a great question dude I would I would tell myself I would tell myself whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Because this whole time up until now, whether I thought I could or I couldn't, I was right. And when I was forced to do things throughout the process that either A, I didn't want to, B, I had to, or C, that was difficult. that I could do those things, I was right. Uh, throughout the process, if I was doing things that were difficult, I didn't want to do, um, I would tell myself whether I could or couldn't do those things, I was right. And 
throughout that time, I'm trying to put this in the right context. That, que that question is really good, man. Yeah, take your time, man. We don't want you to rush this answer. This is a, it's a tough question. I mean, you've been through a lot. You're doing a lot right now. You're modeling in New York. I mean, I know you said it was a goal of yours, but mm. it's, it's, it's crazy to see the, the other obstacles you've overcome in, in making that decision too. I appreciate that. And I would tell you, honestly, I would to keep it simple instead of overthinking it, I would tell myself to keep going because my thought process has been very similar to when I was 18 now. Um, and goal oriented, I've matured a lot since I was 18. I won't say I haven't, <laughs> obviously. But I was, my, the mindset and what I want to do for my family, the mindset and what I do for my life, how I view life, the friendships I have, the relationships I have, um, it really is the same drive and it's only become more important to me. So I would tell myself, take in the moments, sit back, enjoy each part. Cause I, I do a really good job of taking in the moments and stuff, but I would tell myself to do it more because you can't do it enough because time is so short and moments are so short and they only last so long. Um, I would tell myself to take it in and enjoy the ride and keep believing in myself because you were right. You are right. And you that's, will be right, man. That's powerful, man. Yeah. Well, Mason, thank you for joining Thoughts from a Balcony. You were an awesome guest. I'm super excited to, to you know, end the recording, clip this up, post some of it to Instagram. Also, make sure if you're not following Mason on Instagram that you're doing so, especially if you're into the modeling world. He's got those great fits. Also got a great six-pack ass, man. What can you say? All right, man. I appreciate it, Mason. Before we go, though, I want to—I do want to say um, again, I appreciate you having me on here, brother. Um, this there has been a lot of good, a lot of roller coasters uh, in my life, and being able to share his story, I value very much because there are a lot of pieces and parts that a lot of people don't understand unless you are in my close circle and the struggles I've gone through and overcoming the good times I've gone through and overcome. And before we got on here, I was telling you uh, about how difficult you know, this last year has been for me. And it did change my mindset um, a little bit in struggling and kind of going into survival mode of waiting with the pandemic, waiting for everything to come back, waiting, 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 instead of being back in my roots of attacking, being driven, having a purpose every day. Um, I was doing a lot of sitting on my ass, man, and a lot of second guessing myself, which changes everything of who I was uh, to where I am today, right? And where I got to today. And I just want to let everybody know that my dude Trevor here got me back up off my ass. I had a great talk with my parents, my mom, but watching your stuff, man, uh, motivated me. The conversation we had that we talked about um, of just that inspiration. I gotta tell you what, man, your inspiration really, really saved me this year because I appreciate that, man. I was down bad, man. And I wasn't uh, being motivated or grinding towards the better of anything. And the energy you give every day, it's that contagiousness that I needed to get my shit back in order. And now we're back to personal training, bartending on the weekend, modeling during the week. We're working all the time and there's nothing better than working towards a better future, right? Absolutely, man. I, I appreciate that, man. Kind words. Um, thank you, Mason. I appreciate it, man. We'll, uh, we'll get this up on Spotify. And thanks for listening, guys. Yes, sir.